Season 3, Episode 17, this is Black History Moments, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of those who have been forgotten or who are lesser known in our history books and texts. Happy Black History Month and hi, it's been a while, I know, but let's jump in. There are some photos that live in my head rent-free when I think about Black history and more specifically the Civil Rights era. One picture that always comes to mind is the four students sitting at a lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. Another picture I always think about is that one of Ruby Bridges coming down those stairs after integrating an all-white school. And another photo that has been burned into my memory is the one of a Black woman. She's tall, seemingly unimpressed by the weapons pointing her way, and that woman was Gloria Richardson, a civil rights activist that helped activate the Black Power Movement, and this is her story. Gloria Richardson was born in Baltimore, Maryland on May 6, 1922, and when the Depression hit, Gloria and her parents moved back to Cambridge um, to live with her grandparents. Her grandfather, his name was Herbert, and he was the son of a butcher. And later, Herbert was a successful entrepreneur himself. He owned a funeral parlor, they had grocery stores, and a few rental properties. And he was, quote, arguably the town's wealthiest and most politically powerful black man, end quote. Now, her family's grocery stores in Cambridge's second ward, which was a predominantly black community separated from the white neighborhood, were, of course, frequented by the black population in Cambridge. When Gloria was 16, she began attending Howard University in Washington, D.C. Howard is a historically black institution of higher learning. Shout out to the Howard grads. Uh, And Gloria studied sociology when she was at Howard, and she ended up graduating in 1942. While Gloria's family were not strangers to activism and being proponents of civil rights, it was at Howard University that Gloria began to kind of dip her toe into the movement, I'll say. Along with other students, Gloria protested at the local Woolsworth, which was a store at the time. And after graduating from Howard, Gloria moved back to Cambridge. She settled down. She got married. She married a school teacher. And together they had two children. Gloria and her husband divorced. And by 1961, she was back living with her grandparents, living in their house. And she also started working at her family's pharmacy. Now, she saw how hard it was for working class black people to survive. She was one of very few college educated women in her area during this time, and it was still difficult to stay above water, college educated and all. Now, according to the New York Times in Cambridge, quote, black residents could order food at restaurants, but they couldn't sit down. They could vote, but the schools and neighborhoods remained segregated. With the closing of the area's largest employer, which was a meatpacking company at the time, black unemployment has shot up to 30% compared to 7% among whites, end quote. Now, ironically, Cambridge had a street named Race Street, and that street served as the unofficial dividing line for the city's black people and the city's white people. Sylvia Windsor, she was a resident of Cambridge at the time, and she said, quote, One side of Race Street was for the whites and one side was for the blacks, and they never crossed over and we never did either. Donna, which was Gloria's daughter, began to get involved with the SNCC, standing for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. The SNCC had come to town and they recruited a lot of young people, mostly high schoolers, to help with the demonstrations and sit-ins. Now, these were peaceful protests, emphasis on peaceful 
But when they would show up, they were often met with violence from the opposite side. Keep in mind, these were kids. So, of course, they began to get discouraged. Now, Gloria saw this and she hopped on the road, her and a friend, and they headed down to the SNCC headquarters in Atlanta. And the reason for this trip was because Gloria wanted to ask them if they could start an adult version of what the kids were doing. Gloria said, quote, we went down there all dressed up in our spring and summer clothes and they looked at us like we were crazy. Now, living in Atlanta now, I can see why. But the SNCC told them, yes, of course they could do it. And with that, they headed back to Cambridge and formed what became known as the Cambridge Nonviolent Action Committee or CNAC. Now, Gloria was chosen to be the group's co-chair, and she eventually became its spokesperson and also one of its most pivotal figures. And the work began. For starters, the Cambridge Nonviolent Action Committee wanted complete school segregation. They wanted better housing conditions. They wanted the desegregation of hospitals and better employment opportunities for the black residents of Cambridge. The committee reached out to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in hopes that he would help in their efforts, but were, quote, rebuffed, meaning rejected. Now, I never found any real reason for the rejection, but if I had to guess, I would think that it would be because of this. While the group started as nonviolent, the white residents met them with violence. So they would throw Molotov cocktails at their homes during the night. They would throw eggs at them during protests during the day. And in response to this, Gloria encouraged them to defend themselves. That's where you kind of lose the whole nonviolent part of the Cambridge Nonviolent Action Committee. They were very much so about that action, right? So that's why I think Dr. King may have tried to distance himself from the group and he didn't want to become involved because it was no longer nonviolent. I will say, though, while I was researching this, my first thought was, I wonder if she ever reached out to Malcolm X and if he would have helped her. You know, since Malcolm and Martin had these opposing views to how they saw the movement. Um, But we'll put a pin there because we're going to come back to that. But to be quite honest, Gloria didn't need any of their help, if we're being honest. After she was rejected by King and kept being met with violence from white residents, Gloria said, quote, you believe your requests or demands are perfectly normal. And when they get blocked, you become more determined to fight. It's a process. It's probably like men in the army. You may be scared and shaky at first, but you go on and get used to it, end quote, and get used to it. She did. The Cambridge movement directed its work towards improving living conditions for the people of the Second Ward in Cambridge. Now, meanwhile, continuing militant CNAC protests angered not only the Kennedy administration nearby in Washington, D.C., but also other national civil rights leaders. When the state of Maryland and federal negotiators led by Robert Kennedy proposed voting for the right of access to public accommodations In 1963, a so-called Treaty of Cambridge, the SNAC boycotted the vote. At a press conference, Richardson stated, quote, a first-class citizen does not beg for freedom. A first-class citizen does not plead to the white power structure to give him something that the whites have no power to give or take away. Human rights are human rights, not white rights. That was her quote. 
And so the civil rights movement establishment was angered at her refusal to accept this treaty. Like, here, take it. Like, they're giving you something. Take it. That's how they felt. Now, according to the New York Times, the governor of Maryland, Jay Miller Taws, who was a Democrat, sent in the National Guard. And when the soldiers withdrew on July 8th, violence erupted immediately. They said that there was so much gunfire after they left that it sounded like a battlefield. And the guard returned four days later and stayed for over a year. Now, personally, I love this part. Now, Gloria quickly attracted national media attention, both for her uncompromising politics and also her charismatic public image. Almost always dressed in high-waisted jeans and a white blouse, she strolled fearlessly past white supremacists and armed guardsmen alike. In one memorable photo, the one we talked about, she seems to casually brush aside a bayonet-tipped rifle on her way to address a group of protesters, end quote. It got very scary with the threats against us and with the whites coming through the black community shooting, said her daughter Donna. She just marched right past them. Now, Marlon Brando, who was a movie star at the time, his name may sound familiar, he said that he was going to Cambridge to join the protest because he was on their side. But unfortunately, he had to be hospitalized because he had an illness at that time. Um, but by then, Dr. King had offered to come as well. But at that point, Gloria and others considered it a insult. She says because he was willing to come after all the national press and TV stations got in there. We were in the middle of it by then. So we said, no, thanks. We can handle it ourselves. Period. Now, Gloria was invited to speak at the March on Washington in August of 1963, and when she showed up in her high-waisted jeans that she was known for, um, they were like, no. And she compromised, and she put on a jean skirt instead. Not long before Dr. King's address, she rose to the microphone to speak, but was cut off after saying hello, apparently for fear that she would say something off-message. And I think that this part kind of highlights... The And this is something I think that we still go through today, where we have these conflicting views on how to get to the same resolution. Um, some people want to approach it this way. Other people feel like we can do better if we approach it this way. And then we end up going head to head on an issue that we both want the same solution for. And so when I was researching Gloria's story and just reading about uh, Dr. King's view on it and also Gloria's view on it and other civil rights activists, how some of them opposed the way that she went about things and in response to that, um, treated her, I think, poorly and unfairly. I didn't like it, but it is reflective of what we currently go through, and it's 2023, but there is a quote that I love to reference all the time, and it says, those who do not know their history are bound to repeat it, and I truly, truly believe that. I think if we want to get to a certain point, it's less about the way to get there and more so about staying focused on where we want to be because we can get so muddled up in the execution of a thing that we forget about the bigger picture. But I digress. Let's get back to Gloria's story. So here's an excerpt from Baltimore Magazine. 
Eventually, in that summer of 1963, Richardson met with Robert Kennedy in Washington to hammer out an agreement to address the CNAC demands and defuse the situation. The nine-hour negotiating session included Cambridge leaders, Justice Department officials, and activists such as SNCC Chairman John Lewis. Shout out to John Lewis. The agreement called for a biracial human relations commission in Cambridge. The segregation of the first four grades of Dorchester County schools, federal housing assistance, better consideration for blacks for state jobs, and a charter amendment to desegregate public accommodations. The agreement, which also called for a halt to demonstrations, noted that the amendment, which was expected to go into effect the following month, could be subject to a referendum. It was also noted that all the signers hoped to avoid putting it to a vote. Kennedy chided Richardson for being so serious. He told her, do you know how to smile? He asked her at one point during their negotiations, getting barely perceptible smile in return. Gloria declined to declare victory, however, preferring instead to characterize the agreement as an initial step towards progress. Gloria felt no sense of relief, no sense of happiness or joy, John Lewis recollected in his autobiography, Walking with the Wind. It was written all over her face. Now, remember earlier when I said, I wonder what it have been like if she would have talked to Malcolm X? Well, even after meeting with Kennedy, the Cambridge community still struggled with getting what they were fighting for. So Gloria, of course, and the CNAC continued pressing forward and they enlisted the likes of Adam Clayton, Fannie Lou Hamer, and Louis Farrakhan, who all made appearances in Cambridge. And Gloria also met... The man himself, Malcolm X, in Detroit, where his landmark message to the grassroots speech included a shout out to her and they became allies. She invited him to Cambridge and planned to accompany him on a trip to Africa, where he told her people had asked him about the Cambridge movement during a previous visit of his. So there you go, folks. Malcolm was definitely on board, but he was assassinated about a year after this happened. Many people on both sides, black and white, looked at Gloria as if she was being disagreeable just for the sake of being disagreeable. But she was right in approaching the movement the way she did and with the amount of force that she did as well. One quote said, she showed that you shouldn't settle for half a loaf of bread. You should take it all. Fast forwarding a bit, in July of 1964, the theater downtown in Cambridge desegregated and also the city council had its first black president. The National Guard finally left town that summer after being there for over a year, and Gloria married a Life magazine photographer who was in town to document what was happening in Cambridge, and they moved to New York City. Even in her moving, Gloria still returned to Cambridge just about every year, and she also remained heavily involved in civil rights. She was about it. She was about it, about it. She passed at the age of 99 on July 15, 2021. A little over a year ago. I'll leave you with this quote by Gloria. If everything else doesn't work, then I think you should make it uncomfortable for them to exist. You have to be in their faces till it gets uncomfortable for politicians and corporate leaders to keep opposing activist demands. I hope that you learned something in this episode and I hope that you'll share it with someone. Remember that you too are Black History and I will check back in with you guys in next Friday's episode of Black History Moments.